people who are in positions of leadership in jobs, they should be having some form of training on mental health and safety in the workplace because the damage that can be done is huge when you're in these junior roles in companies that are often quite large and you just you're kind of a cog in the machine like it's easier to just get rid of someone than to offer that support to them. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where people reveal the mental health stories that shaped how they think about work and themselves. Today we've got Laura Holcomb, Senior Talent Partner at Faculty, who shares how recruiters can create a psychologically safe interview process, how she's managed her own experiences of imposter syndrome, and why treating people like people is always the best approach. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. If you want to learn more about how Oliva could support your business and your people, head to oliva.health. That's O-L-I-V-A dot health. Okay, let's get on with the show. Lara, welcome to Mental Health at Work podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling very good. I've got a week off this week, so resting and recuperating and very excited to be here and have a chat about all things mental health in the workplace with you and associated topics. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Our pleasure. So Lara, why don't you just Give us like two cents about who you are, what you do, and how you understand mental health. I'm a senior talent partner at a tech company. And in my spare time, I've literally just started a little side hustle doing CV reviews and just helping people make sure they're really representing themselves in the best way they possibly can when they're applying for jobs and, you know, on LinkedIn and that kind of thing. And so I've been on quite the journey with my own mental health. Very happy to say that I feel like I'm in a really good place now, but you know, there's been lots of ups and downs. I feel like being happy and fulfilled and not giving yourself too much of a hard time. Some of the keys to good mental health and um, yeah, something I'm incredibly passionate about, especially you know in the workplace due to a lot of the experiences I've had in the past. How and when did this passion around mental health started for you? I have had just a lot of different jobs where mental health was not a priority, where psychological safety was not a priority in teams. And we dedicate so much of our time to work. And there's so much of your self-esteem that is tied up in your job. So when I finally entered a company that actually prioritized psychological safety and looking after the mental wellness of its teams, I noticed such a difference. And it really helped my career to flourish. It's just something that's incredibly important to me and definitely informed by a lot of experiences I've had in the past. Tell me a little bit more about these experiences that you had where you were talking about not feeling psychologically safe. So I started my working life going in and out of very junior roles in sales and customer service. And it was just kind of the done thing to treat people like children, infantilize you, to make you feel really bad for 
making mistakes rather than treating it as a learning opportunity. Being in roles where I was being screamed at by customers and not being given any support on how to deal with that. Being in sales roles where the leadership thought that Wolf of Wall Street was like the greatest thing and so would stand at the front of the room and shout at you and just use all of these quote-unquote motivational tactics that just made you feel small and made you feel like crap. And then also just being in situations where I was struggling mentally and I was very much made to feel that that was my problem, being gaslit and being made to feel like my reality was not the reality that was reality, if that makes sense. So, So yeah, you know, just a lot of really negative experiences that just made me feel like my self-esteem was being eroded, that I wasn't good enough and that I didn't feel psychologically safe in the workplace. And I'm not too proud to say that I have been fired a lot. And most of the time it was because I was struggling with mental health and had no support in the workplace. And therefore I was seen as a bad employee when in reality I was actually someone who needed support and just was not getting it. You were saying that you were fired a lot. And obviously mm. that's not something easy to say or or to experience. You were saying you were lacking support. Mm. What specific examples, if you have any, like a story or or an example where, where you felt like that, like you needed support, but you just simply didn't have it? You know, when I worked in sales roles specifically, you know, they're quite high pressure and I have a tendency just being who I am to beat myself up quite a lot and you know it was situations where I potentially wasn't performing to my highest level because I wasn't having a great time mentally but rather than my leaders taking me aside and saying okay we've noticed a dip in your performance what's going on I would be called lazy I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're feeling very mentally fragile and unwell and depressed and then trying to make hundreds of cold calls a day the two just do not marry just multiple different situations where clearly if I was in that situation now and I was managing someone who is exhibiting the type of symptoms or behaviors that I was at the time it would be so obvious to me that there's something wrong and that we need to support that person what what were those symptoms I've always been very anxious, a lot of worrying, catastrophizing. When I was in my 20s, I was very depressed. I didn't have a direction in life from what I could see. I was just struggling with who I was and my weight as well and, you know, binge eating. So honestly, there's just a raft of things that now I look back, I can tell, well, this is what was wrong. But at the time, it was just depression, sometimes struggling to get out of bed and feel in any way like I had anything of value to add to the world. And I'm, I'm still an anxious person, don't get me wrong. I'm in therapy, which is helping me out a lot. And my anxiety has definitely become so manageable through, well, just kind of growing up and learning coping mechanisms. And, you know, my life now being in a situation that is almost unrecognizable to the way it was when I was feeling this way. Just think the attitudes have shifted so much over the past few years, which is good. And the combination of having anxiety, depression, plus being in a super unsafe environment is, mm. is not a great combination. No. And, you know, considering that you spend so much time at work, I was in 
very low paying jobs, never out of my overdraft, just constantly struggling for money as well. So it was a situation where I had to go to work. If I couldn't go to work, I would probably get fired or be let go. So then on top of everything, there was this just being so, so skint and not being able to afford to do anything that I enjoyed. So I just really felt like I was trapped between a rock and a hard place of needing to work, not really feeling able to work, not arguably being mentally well enough to work, but having to work. And it just all kind of went into a set in a horrible circle, really. Yeah, it sounds like you were feeling fear to be fired, but at the same time, the pressure and the hostility at work mm. added all your symptoms around anxiety yeah. and depression. Yeah. And it, it, do you know what? Even though things could not be more different now, I still have this fear of losing my job, this fear of not doing well enough. Imposter syndrome, if you're going to call it anything, where someone's going to find me out, you know, someone's going to find out that I'm not good enough, which is not the case. I'm doing super well, but that kind of thing stays with you. You know, it's, it's, it's left a psychological mark, which can be really, really hard to shake. As recently as a couple of weeks ago, you know, I had my mid probation review in my new job and there was no evidence to say that I wasn't doing really well, but I was still so scared and it was causing me anxiety. And it makes me think that, you know, people who are in positions of leadership in jobs, they should be having some form of training on mental health and safety in the workplace because the damage that can be done is huge when you're in these junior roles in companies that are often quite large and you just you're kind of a cog in the machine like it's easier to just get rid of someone than to offer that support to them it's like it's difficult to be in a position in in those kind of companies where they see the person as a person and mm -hmm. therefore their potential but more like a number and yeah that is not very good for mental health no and the moment i went into a company where my potential was seen And even though I was still probably just kind of coming out of this bad period of mental health and still struggling, I just absolutely shone. How did you manage to move from this hostile kind of environment to a place where you were valued as a person? It was a complete accident, if I'm honest with you. I was in this, so I was living up in Norwich and I was in and out of temp jobs. And the funny thing was the last temp job that I had before recruitment Again, knocked my confidence so badly because I was working as a temp in a, an estate agent and I was doing really well. I didn't miss any work. I was contributing outside of my job remit. And then one day they just ended my contract, even though I'd had promise after promise that they were going to take me on permanently. So that just knocked my confidence once again. And then I ended up speaking to somebody who I'd spoken to a few months ago about a role she worked in a very small recruitment company. I said, look, I can't drive. I know recruiters normally need to drive. Like, can I work for you? Like, can we have a conversation? So we ended up going to Costa and then I was hired there. Now I'm not going to say that my time there was rainbows and flowers because I had my own struggles there. But one thing I can't take away from that company was the fact that they were the first company ever to see my potential and to provide me with a level of support above what I had had anywhere else. Like it was unrecognizable. And I was in a very small company as well. It was literally three of us, which made a huge difference. I've never really been back into a large company since because I just love 
what a small organization is like. Within weeks of me starting there, it really hit the ground running. I'd never been a recruiter before, but I just got it. And I was placing people. I was promoted within five months to a senior. And I just consistently was the top biller, worked super hard. I felt such loyalty to that company and was given a lot of praise. As much as I don't like it, I'm someone who needs praise. I need regular feedback. I need praise. I was getting that. So that kept me buoyed up. And so that was the first organization that really sparked a shift. It was an accident that I fell into recruitment and fell into a company that kind of helped me to undo all of that anxiety and inability to really better myself and further myself. You you were very detailed when explaining the environment at the beginning where you were working, feeling threatened. And I was wondering, now you're talking about the opposite and how great you felt and how supportive this environment was. What made this environment so supportive? It was just the genuine kindness of the people. The fact that that seemed to be a factor and a priority when hiring to get people who are a culture fit or who can add positively to that culture that was being built. Um, Regular feedback, feedback that was designed to help me improve and grow rather than to tell me things were wrong and empathetic servant leadership I think leaders who know their job is to make their team better not for them to glorify in all the work their team's doing and receive all the credit themselves that was the big difference and leaders who genuinely wanted you to get better and wanted to grow your career and saw it as their responsibility to do their job properly to make you grow and flourish i'm hearing leaders who empower and just care about people i don't think it's too much to say that a lot of people seek leadership positions because they have a power complex they want power over other people but they're not leaders they're dictators you know if you're a true leader you have to make sure that every single other person in your team or who you're responsible for is happy and fulfilled and feeling good before you turn to yourself So so now we are taking care of candidate experience, right? Mm. So yeah. I know there is a lot of focus on employee experience. Tell me a little bit about the candidate experience. What does this mean to you and, and the meaning of having a great candidate experience mm. and how does that link to mental health? I think that recruitment processes are some of the most stressful and difficult times, especially if someone's not got a job right now. But even so, you know, it's it's hard. You're being judged. You've got to show up often for multiple processes, put your best face on, sell yourself. And you're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation because, you know, unless a candidate process is managed correctly, it could be so easy for something to happen that would really dent that person's confidence going forward. So for me, candidate experience is all about extremely transparent communication, very detailed feedback, 
making sure that you're checking in with people very regularly, even if you don't have an update, and just making sure that people feel comfortable throughout that process. Because for me, it's an extension of the experience of working at the company. And it's just about treating people like people and treating people with respect. So yeah, just having very regular touch points, being on their side, fighting their corner, doing everything you can to help them. It's just going to create a really positive experience for them, a positive impression of the company, and just make everyone enjoy that process more. I guess it would be like treating your candidates as if they were employees. Like you wouldn't give like unthought feedback or hopefully I want to think that people yeah. wouldn't give un like feedback that is directed to the person and not to the behavior or attitudes mm. or, or things that they, they saw in the interview, right? And and then sometimes in the interview process, people are not treated that way and it's more like generic or sometimes mm. not even having the time to give feedback. Yeah, it is treating people as if they're already members of the team. One of my best friends, she was going through a interview process and she didn't she she, she didn't have a, a job and she was saying like I, I'm doing terrible interviews. I'm like, but you've done this for many years. She was like, I'm so nervous because at the end of the month, probably I won't have money to pay my rent. And there's so much stress that I can't even talk. And what you were saying right now is such a stressful event going through these interviews. What are your top tips for people in interview process to make the candidate feel safe? I just think that you should try and keep it very relaxed. So whenever I interview candidates, most of the time I do it off camera for the first screen call, for instance. That way you're not having to kind of sit up and, you know, make yourself look presentable or really worry about what you look like. It's just about what you're saying. Another thing I think is super important and that we do at faculty is providing pillars for the conversation. So I will send an email with four or five bullet points and say, this is what the interview is going to cover so that people are not being blindsided. And a lot of questions are called competency-based questions or situational questions where they say, tell me about a time when. I'm not a big fan of those. I prefer future-focused questions. So like, how would you react in this situation? What would you do? But in situations where interviewers do want to use situational type questions, it's so much easier to prepare those answers and feel less nervous about going into that situation if you kind of know what's coming. It's not cheating because I'm not telling people what to say. We're not telling people how to pass the interview, but we're just saying, be prepared to talk about this. Maybe think of some examples around this. And also taking time to kind of signpost at the beginning of the interview and say, right, thank you so much for your time. We're really grateful. This is what's going to happen. So we're going to go through this, then we're going to go through this, then we'll have time for questions. So people know what's going to happen. And also just being friendly and genuinely wanting that candidate to succeed. A really good example is my interview at faculty. <laughs> it was a kind of a final stage interview with Tom, my head of talent. It's a senior role. It, it, it was challenging. And there were some things that I didn't know the answer to, if I'm honest with you. But I was made to feel so safe. And when I didn't know the answer... Tom was like, well, this is what I think, and just brought me along with him. And it just made me absolutely desperate to work at faculty, first of all, because of that safety that I felt. But I could tell he genuinely wanted me to succeed, and I genuinely want candidates to succeed, and I think all of our hiring managers do. So, yeah, looking at it from that perspective rather than, like, I'm going to try and catch you out or, you know, like, oh, I just 
found this horrendous. I once had someone say to me that when they interview, they would tell a candidate something, then go on to talk about something else, and then say, would you consider yourself to be a good listener? And then they'd say yes, obviously. And then he'd be like, what did I say five minutes ago about this? And I was just like, what? why Why would you do that? Why would you try to catch someone out and put them in such an uncomfortable situation? How do you think they're going to feel for the rest of that interview if it slipped their mind, the thing that you said five minutes ago? Wow, that is an extreme. I couldn't believe it, to be honest with you. How do you make sure that the whole hiring team is on the same page in terms of that? And they are all providing a candidate experience that is like the one you're describing now, not with the example, obviously, but the the good candidate experience. We just have nice people who want everyone to succeed, but that is the genuine attitude. We also do use a piece of kit called Screen Loop. It is a platform which records interviews and does a lot of analytics on the back end around the whole interview experience. I don't want anyone to listen to this from faculty and think that we are scoring them on interviews. But if that was any feedback that we got that a candidate who'd interviewed did not have a good time, we would be able to then go in and review that interview and nip that in the bud. But like I said, it's never happened. I don't think it would ever happen. But um, yeah, you know, so it's, it's kicking off the role correctly, doing a lot on my side to make that experience really smooth, genuinely having amazing leaders in roles. And then we have the backup of being able to watch interviews once they've happened, if anything did happen that a candidate wasn't happy about, basically. It does, it enables us to engage a lot better, you know, because I'm not having to type so much and I can really listen. Since I've started using it, the quality of my conversations has just gone through the roof and it's enabled me to fight the corner of some candidates who potentially on paper are not what we'd be looking for or whatever or maybe haven't quite got enough skills in this area but they've performed so well in the interview they're so personable they're so passionate and I can demonstrate that. At the beginning you introduced yourself as senior talent partner and Mm. I was thinking that itself is such a difference between a recruiter just the word partner sounds way more friendly and like you nourish a safe psychologically safe environment yeah and you know so the the title like I don't think was necessarily intended for that I think what it means is that you know we partner with senior people in the business we partner with with the business to help grow it we're not seen as serving the teams we're partnering Mm. with them to grow talent but you're completely right in that I'm also partnering with the candidate. You know, I am their representative just as much as I'm the representative of the hiring manager. You know, I am their partner through the whole process and I very much see it that way. And I do everything I possibly can to help candidates and to set them up for success just as much as I am trying to set my team's up for success that I'm working with by bringing amazing people into the business. So, so yeah, I mean, I'd never thought of that before, but it's a really good point. And, you know, to be honest, I think people are pretty comfortable with me because I'm so, I'm so low key. I'm so like unformal, <laughs> informal <laughs> um, in my approach. And I just want to have a chat with people. And I think putting people at ease and just saying like, look, I'd love to hear a bit more about you, who you are, gets the best out of people really. 
Thank you so much for sharing all your personal experience, your professional experience and, and your tips. I think it was a really nice conversation. I learned a lot about candidate experience, inclusiveness and making people feel safe. Oh, thank you. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you and kind of sharing. And, you know, I guess one thing that I'm doing to try and put people in a position where they feel super confident going into these things is I'm, I've started a little side hustle doing CV reviews and helping people to really uncover where their unique value lies. So feel free to DM me about that, anyone on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, Thank you, Lara. And I hope your LinkedIn messages now is exploding. <laughs> this podcast was hosted by Maite Otero, produced by Billy Cragen, and brought to you by Oliva proper mental health support and emotional growth for every single employee. Thanks to Laura for sharing her story and for reminding us why the Wolf of Wall Street should never be used as a template for workplace culture. If you're a fan of the podcast, you can like or subscribe to Mental Health at Work in all the usual places. And if you really want to help us beat the podcast search engine algorithms, you can also leave us a review on Apple or Spotify, preferably a positive one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.